glad to see you here at the Midwest Clinic. Everyone's had a great morning. Uh, uh, we have record turnout, which is fantastic. And uh, so happy to see you at this clinic. Before I introduce it, I need to let you know that um, if you are interested in presenting a topic uh, at the clinic, those applications come out in March and we encourage you to do so. Uh, we're looking for as wide a variety of things as we possibly can get. And uh, we usually get about 500 applications and narrow it down to 100. And we're only supposed to take 80, but we always take 100 because they're just too good. And um, so we would encourage you to do that. If you thought about having your ensemble play at Midwest, we encourage you to do that as well. Uh, the application for that is a little bit more involved, but. Uh, uh, we are seeking out as many different groups from as far uh, across the country as we can. Um, so um, we encourage you to do that. So today uh, we have this very interesting large panel. I don't know how, they're all going to talk for two minutes, I guess. I don't know, but not some of you. Not, well, some of you can really talk, so. Uh, um, but I know it's going to be really, really terrific. So I'm going to read their slide to you, the community building. Meet them where they are. Please welcome the panel. First of all, we would like to say good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Oh, hold on now. Hold on now. We do something at Relative Pitch. We love to get what you say is what we feel. So, good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Perfect. That's what we love to hear. First of first. First and foremost, my name is Anthony Morris. I am currently a master conducting associate at the University of Georgia, and I am one part of this beautiful Relative Pitch podcast, and I'll let my co-hosts introduce themselves. Hi, everyone. My name is Lauren Green. I am a doctorate of musical arts, flute performance student at the University of Washington, um, as well as the community relations manager for the Seattle Symphony. Hello, everyone. My name is Michael Brown. I'm the adjunct professor of trumpet at the University of North Georgia and play second trumpet with the Chattanooga Symphony and Opera. And so we three make up Relative Pitch. And Relative Pitch started about three years ago during COVID where uh, Michael says it's his idea, but you know, we give it to him. Um, and we just thought about our current generation. What are we going through? What were some of the problems in music, music education, and what happened, we ended up having three hour long conversations, like almost every day. So we said, well, let's turn on a camera and let's invite others to tell their stories too. And that is partly why we have our beautiful poor people at the end of this table that are here with us to talk about how their stories and how it relates to community. And so I'm gonna let them introduce themselves, starting with Miss Ashley Crawford. Good afternoon, everyone. I am Professor Ashley Crawford. I'm a flute professor at Tennessee State University in Nashville, Tennessee. Some of you who follow me on social media may know me as Flute Bay, and I'm also <laughs> the co-founder and president of the Nashville African American Wind Symphony Incorporated. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure to be part of this panel. My name is Dr. Catherine Sanan Bushman, and currently I'm a, a wind band director and a music ed professor at St. Cloud State in uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota. Um, but before that, I've taught high school level down south, which is sort of where I'm connected with some of these folks in the Atlanta area. 
and, uh, and all those things. So thank you so much. Hello, my name is Dr. Kelvin Jones, currently the visiting professor of music education at the University of Louisiana Lafayette, formerly at LSU um, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, before then, I taught in a rural area, K-12, out of Mississippi and Louisiana. Really, really thrilled excited to be here. Thank you all. And I'm Jack E. Um, I am the director of what? Um, <laughs> Ask me already. I am uh, Jackie. I'm the director of athletic bands at Western Carolina University, and before that, um, I taught for 12 years in the public schools in Orlando, Florida. Go, Florida! And so, something that you're going to notice throughout this entire presentation is, again, we want you all to be part of our Rosa Pitch crew here. And so, one of the first things that we want to just discuss is what is community to you? So you can get out your mobile devices and go to this QR code. And the question is, what is community? And you can come up with one word, two words, 10 words, whatever it is. And we're gonna compile a word wall. And that is gonna be some of the uh, topics that we'll talk about today. So we'll give you about a minute. <coughs> And so while you're doing that, Jack Eady, um, the first question we have for you, um, what is the difference between establishing a community in a collegiate versus middle and high school settings as you've done before? What are the differences between culture building in those settings? Nothing. Uh, just kidding. Uh, what, what I've uh, learned over the years are the difference between middle schoolers and college kids are that they're just taller. And they can drive, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of y'all um, understand that, or you, you see that. Um, I, I'm a, a big believer of establishing community through, through your students. We all preach um, student leadership, and this is your program, and we want you to take ownership of it. And I think um, our programs work better when we, when we, when we let that happen. Um, and so I like to uh, build a community and build that culture through our student leadership and let it web out to the, through the rest um, of the band. I think the first thing that we, we should do in any, any situation is relationship building. I think without the relationship building, nothing matters. Um, I like to say before you play that concert, be flat or take a step. You, you have, to, have to build a relationship with the student. And for me, it was easy for me to talk with, you know, Jerome or, you know, or Jeremy um, about their attendance or about their discipline or about them actually playing their instrument if I built a relationship uh, with that, with them. Um, some things that I, I tried to do, especially in the, in the secondary level, is I, I love to get them outside of playing their instruments. Like we spend a lot of time building building the musician, but I think you know one thing that that that's worked for me. Like we we did game nights. Uh, we go to the gym and play basketball. Uh, we have a movie night, um, and we just set up set up those kind of things in the in the band room. And that way we we're able to let our hair down. Um, and they even though they saw me as Mr. Edie, um, it was the, it was the I wasn't the teacher, but I was the one like blocking their shot or talking junk or the, 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 the other side. Um, uh, I'm a beast in Madden, so 
don't, yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, build, taking, taking the time for them to see that other side of me so they can see um, that I care about them on, on a different level than just what they see in me in the classroom, and I think that, that is so important. Now, uh, switching it to the college level, it's tougher to, to do those things because they're adults and they have lives and they have other things to do. And so you, I, I had to really work to foster, um, foster the community while understanding they have, they have, have, have lives. And so uh, we, we do that, especially in my program, program now, is we, we try to do some kind of a social activity monthly. We'll do a coffee with directors, we'll do a, uh, ice cream with directors or donuts with donuts. Uh, and I encourage all sections to, to go out and, and, um, go do, go Sonic, go to Sonic and just, um, hang out with each other and build, um, build through that. And so it really, um, I think it's, it's, it's just, it's very similar, um, to that, but just making sure you're you're taking the time to show them that you care and that you're going to build a relationship with them. I love that. I just personally would love to see you play basketball with your kids. So if you have a basketball game, can you invite all of us to see that? Yes. But we'll bring a pep band for you. It's okay. <laughs> my student, my students didn't want it, so it's all right. Oh, they didn't want that. They didn't want that smoke. <laughs> So my question is to Ashley, how do you build community within your collegiate studio, and how do you keep this in mind while recruiting and through the audition process? So I thought I have pretty much a two-part answer to this. Um, so as far as recruiting for my studio, basically what I do as flute play, that is like the first enticement, like what these students see in high school. Who is this flute player playing all this R&B and these pop songs and these hip-hop songs? on social media and going viral, whatever the case may be, and they come to me and say, hey, I want to study flute, or um, I want to study with you, and they get into the studio, and they think they're going to get a flute bay lesson, and I put those major scales in front of them, put that dramatic scale in front of them, here's your finger chart, and I can start to build them from the ground up, but that's just, that's the introductory, that's the, the introductory level right there, where I can speak to them, although we're a generation apart now, Generation Z, or Gen Z, I'm a millennial, so they like to drag us a lot, but I can meet them <laughs> in that realm. So that gets them in the room. Um, I also like to cultivate a family with my studio. So I have an audition process for my food choir at Tennessee State, and this consists of freshmen all the way to grad students. And once they're in this first rehearsal and they're, they're in this room with me, it's an even playing field. Now they're under this serious conductor that's looking over her glasses at them, and all I want is my notes, all my notes on that downbeat, right? Um, so they know how serious I am, and they know how passionate I am about this instrument. So they lean on one another to support one another to meet me where I am, to give me the product that I'm looking for. Um, another big thing is the visibility of role models. Representation is key to building community, okay? Um, so 
with the Nashville African American Wind Symphony, that is an organization full of African American classical musicians, uh, people of color who play classical music. So we have um, a number of ages that see this group and they're inspired by that and they see that it's possible for them to flourish in this realm as well because they see themselves. Um, another thing is also the makeup going back into Tennessee State now, which we know that is an HBCU. Um, the faculty makeup, does the faculty rec represent the demographic of the student body? And I got some numbers for y'all. Educators, are y'all ready for some statistics? That's your favorite class, right? <laughs> so these numbers are approximate. As we know, every school year, teachers move around, things happen, okay? So according to collegefactual.com, where we stand right now, it's 1,417 professors. So breaking that down, black professors stand at 64.1%, white professors stand at 29.8%, Asian is 4.4%, multi-ethnic is 1.7%. Now we're about to head over to the music department. Are y'all ready? There are 48 professors in the music department. 66.7% are white, 27.1% are black, 8.3% are multi-ethnic. We're gonna break it down even further. 68.8% are men, 31.3% are women, this is my last breakdown. Y'all staying with me? 41.7% are white men, 25% are white women, 20.8% are black men, 6.3% are black women. And to keep this from getting even darker and grim, I um, lumped the men, the multi-ethnic men and women together at 6.3%. So I'm one of only four black female faculty members. When it boils down to full-time, I'm one of only two full-time black faculty members. What is important to me is how, one, I carry myself and represent myself because I want to empower my students. I want them to see that you can show up in these spaces, take up space, have a voice, advocate for yourself and be passionate, and that translates over to them in whichever field they're in. I don't have any music majors in my studio. I stand at 16 students right now. I have bio majors, chem majors, nursing, but we all unite under the passion of music. And they see how I'm able to withstand and persevere in this space where sometimes in these meetings I'm the only one in there and I have to speak from my chest, right? <laughs> and advocate for myself as a woman, as a black woman. And in turn, this inspires them as they go off into their fields and they go into these different um, industries where they may be the only one. And they can dial back and say, oh, I remember when Miss Crawford was the only one and she survived this and she was okay, she was fine, she was strong, and I can do this too. Um, so, Within community, I always think connection, empowerment, and identity. How can I empower you after we connect, right? How can I support your identity and be that thing you can lean on, be that person you can lean on and see you, okay? So with that, 
again, representation is everything because if our youth don't see themselves in certain spaces, they just won't think it's possible. So we want them to walk away knowing that whatever it is that you want to do is possible. Releasing your new single, please right. pre-order. Pre-order. I'm going to watch some photos, but I know they, how they see you. It empowers them in every field. So I'm going to pass it over. Yeah, so Kelvin, kind of going off of that, of the connection to the students, I mean, you were the director of LSU's March event. Like, big, I mean, nationally known, grannies, you know, all of that. How did you... Um, kind of bring that into an athletic band setting where you have 400, 500 members? I don't know, I can follow Ashley there. Um, <laughs> um, but it, it goes back to, um, just piggybacking on some of the things she said, uh, makes me think of that analogy, kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Um, and before you can try to tune anything, I think big picture is worth just stating Everything that we're talking about is under the premise of solid performance practices and good things going on. Um, we can try to build community as we can, but if we can't play in time and tune, then you're building something on shaky ground. So just say that for the record. Um, but it's also figuring out like what are the things within the group there. And so like it was a big thing for me of developing family. And so when I was teaching high school, at the school I was at, at um, in Fairwell, um, Louisiana, uh, to your perspective, um, they had their first integrated prom in 2006. Um, black kids go to prom one night, white kids go on the other night. Um, and so the, there was a lot of, in a sense, de facto segregation. Like the black kids did this, black kids did track and basketball and then band. The white kids did softball, soccer, and things like that. So for me, it's like music is music. Um, you know, how can we build that? So I started off a program. Uh, we had like 13 kids, but it was mostly black kids. And then I'm proud, like by the time we ended that, it was about 50-50. Cause there was a classism thing of, oh man, it's for the poor people. And it was, it's unique. So that kind of manifesting culture and community was important. Just showing them, I don't care if your dad did oil in Iraq, which is our first trombone player, or you went a week without water, which is our second chair trombone player. Like we all come together through music. And that's what makes music so, in my opinion, freaking cool because regardless of your background, we can kind of bond with something like that. So big picture with uh, community is like two factors. One, the internal community. So what are you doing with your kids in your program? So like at LSU, um, kind of what Jack mentioned earlier, even with high school, like doing things outside of just band, whether it's having a water balloon fight, basketball, dodgeball, let's have a movie night, just things that kind of bring the social elements into things. But it was important for me, and anybody, my former students can tell you, like I made it a point to learn every kid's name. Um, and so there's a lot of time in band camp. And so I get people and sometimes my peers, oh, I don't have time. It's like, you have a prioritization issue, not a time issue. Um, you know, because you can prioritize things that are important to you. And so, you know, taking things to learn about them. And for me, it's finding that one unique nugget, whether they went to a certain high school, uh, whether they had a certain director, a certain teacher, they're from a certain area, maybe a certain team they like. And then maybe every now and then I'll take pun in that. So like they're a Cubs fan. Oh, you like the Astros, right? Well, you love the White Sox. Just, you know, just telling you cool and just building that kind of sense of sociability with them. Um, and then also you can do things, just kind of develop the social media is so big right now where maybe you have kids that are in the honor roll or maybe a certain percentage of your students 
scored certain scores on ACT, just putting out for the community to kind of see with that. The other element, external uh, community, because the athletic bands are so important, they're more stakeholders than just students. So you have to build a connection with the athletic director, the, the coaches. I always had meetings with all of my coaches, and anybody knows like, I had all of them on a cell phone number. But the important thing is, is making social deposits. So it's the, what can we do to aid you? It wasn't always about what can you do for the band program, but just kind of being a conduit that way. And then over time it may be, hey, do you mind coming speaking to our leadership team? Would you mind coming to a rehearsal and things of that nature? Uh, and it's, it's a, a technique that politicians use that I read in the book. It's about sticky notes. And it's finding those elements of what is something that's unique about them that you can then kind of remember. So I kind of sticky point with that. So even when I meet somebody, and those that know me know this, it's, it's not about what they're doing in their profession. It's like, how's life? How are your kids? Are you, your child is still doing those lesson things you talked about? Well, how's the baseball thing going on? And just remember those things, because those small things go a long way to just build kind of this community family dynamic. So when I have to make a social withdrawal, it's not coming from an empty bank deposit, because we kind of have that relationship to kind of build in from there. How do you meet your students where they are when moving to new locations? Because you've traveled the world. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, uh, I maybe started my career off uh, in a way that, that made it hard for me to, to do those things. You know, I was teaching at Lasseter High School down in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was an assistant director, and it was a big, large, competitive program. Everything's amazing about this program. And I wanted to go there because it was my, it was home. It was where I grew up, and I wanted to be God's gift to band directing. I don't know if anybody else in here has that goal. And um, and I did it. And it was a lot of work, and it was really fulfilling. And I learned a lot. I learned how to teach. I learned the nuts and bolts. Um, but even in those spaces, my my mentor there would ask me just, just random questions. You know, it's like, Kevin, how would you teach band if you lived on an Indian reservation? You know, and it took me like years to answer that question because A, down south there aren't any Indian reservations because we kick them all out. You know, and there's no Indians living there. And, and so it's like, I, I have no idea. I have no idea, but I think what that question helped us see is that we're not just here chasing medals. We're not just here chasing trophies. Even though from the outside, that's what it looked like we were doing. And so I took that. I took that to heart. I took all those people that I've worked with and all those communities that I work with, and I said, I want to see if I can do this somewhere else. I went to graduate school and uh, learned as much as I could. Started teaching in South Carolina um, for a couple of years, and then went up to Minnesota. And Minnesota was like moving to Canada, in case y'all don't know. It is like right next to it. And I thought I was moving here. I was like, oh, I know Chicago. That's like Minnesota. It's just like right up there. Um,
where you listen to those questions in the ensemble, like what does the dot mean after the note? You know, and I realize I'm rewinding every day, I'm rewinding every day. And and that, you know, trying to find that common ground. Where is that common ground? That common ground is the filled in note is one beat. And I teach college. The filled in note is one beat. We wait a while to get there to the dot, you know? And, and then I would talk to the band directors and I would ask them what their goals are and why does their band sound like that? It all made sense. It all made sense. And what you find is it's a, it's a diverse world. There's a lot of reasons why we're here. Um, what do we all want? We want to feel good. We want to feel like we're valued when we sit in rehearsal. You know, even if you're one of 300, you're, you, you, know, you want to know the band director knows me. You know, that's what everybody wants. They don't care about triple high C. They don't. You know, and now more than ever, now more than ever, because all of us are pushing towards things that we can't quite get to with our students. And we, and we feel it and we hear it, but you know what? Sometimes they're hungry. Sometimes they're tired. Um, if you walk into a room of your students and they're not talking to each other, they don't know how. Okay, step one is if you're already talking to yourself, no one's gonna talk to you. You know, I got a few of those. And it's like, no one's gonna talk to you if you're already talking to yourself. You know, step two is where we're going out to eat. I ask my kids all the time, where are we going out to eat? Do I need to go out to eat? I do not need to go out to eat with my students. And you look for that one kid who wants to wants a friend who's going to say chicken, because in my town there's like 10 chicken joints. And I say, what chicken joint are we going out to tonight? And now he's the leader. I can't even do auditions. I can't do leadership auditions. I can't do band camp. I just got to get them to come to rehearsal. You know, and I have some that are up here. They're like, you know, Dr. Bushman, I think the band needs to be more serious. And I said, you know what, it will be tomorrow or the next day or the next day. Because I have, I have a plan. And the, and the pandemic made us all hit reset. You know, and so, so I articulate those goals to my students. My goal is to have everyone in rehearsal. We did it twice last semester. We celebrate that. We don't get upset when somebody's not there. We don't get upset. You know, I follow up. I try to get them there. Um, but, but I'm just trying to get them in the room just so that, because I can't teach them otherwise, and I'm trying to teach them the social skills so that when they leave, they don't go into that dark place where they say, I can't do it. Because playing an instrument is hard. It is hard and you sound bad. You know? <laughs> I sound good for like 30 seconds. I sound good. I got this many degrees, I've had this many lessons. So it's hard. So you tell them, it's hard. You sound bad now, you sound better tomorrow. You don't give up. But sometimes it's those basic needs, you know, and then we build, we build on that. So that's what's fun for me. Thank yes, you. yes. I want to uh, swing it back to Ashley in this conversation. We're talking so much about community as, in, as a whole, but I also want to honor the idea of identities within your individual students. So how do you honor the communities you belong to while also honoring those identities of your individual students? Mm -hmm. um, so of course, there are cultural commonalities that I share with my students, and I always make a point to celebrate and validate those experiences. Um, and of course, you know, that strengthens the teacher 
and student relationship, but again, empowers and validates who they are. Um, that brings me to another point, and I can share an experience with you all uh, from when I was a student at Tennessee State myself. Um, Self-awareness and social awareness. When I was a student at TSU, um, my flute uh, teacher, my flute professor, Ms. Belinda Lopp, I consider her a second mom. Um, she was a middle-aged white woman, another one of my uh, teachers, my piano teacher, Dr. Dr. Christina Parkey, um, another middle-aged white woman. While we experienced the world differently, just based off, unfortunately, some status quo that we experience here um, in our country, they still made it a point to sit me down and say, hey, you're a phenomenal flutist, you're an excellent student, they're giving me all this praise, but that's not gonna be good enough. And Dr. Perky, again, I love her to death. Ms. Lopp, love her to death. Dr. Perky said, looked in my face and said, things are gonna be a little bit harder for you out here. You're a woman, you're a black woman. You were marginalized twice over. So you gotta hit the ground running. I'm gonna give you every tool that you need to build what it is that you need to build in order to be successful out here once you leave TSU or go on and continue your studies. But she made it a point, although that conversation may have been uncomfortable for her, or I may have experienced any discomfort with hearing it, she made it a point to be socially aware of what our differences are. While still supporting me. So we had this conversation, Okay, yes ma'am, I hear you. She was like, all right, measure one. <laughs> Went right back to, <laughs> right to recital rehearsal. But we have to remember that we're not teaching machines, we're teaching people. And we want to build that character. So although we have these, these common experiences, I make it a point to listen to my students when they come in. Sometimes we don't even have a lesson. Sometimes they need to just come in and just talk to me. And we know as educators, we wear more than one hat than just band director or orchestra director, right? Sometimes we're the mom away from home. We're therapists, we're teachers, we're, we're all of these things. And these students come in depending on being able to lean on me. And I hear them out and empower them. I keep going back to that word, but that is so important, especially in the day and age after uh, the pandemic and after quarantine, that took a big toll on our students, right? So we wanna bring them back to some point of normalcy where it's okay to talk up for yourself or it's okay to emote and just be human and hear them out, okay? Um, so I wanted to come back to that point of self-awareness versus social awareness because I don't want anyone leaving here thinking like, oh, I have to be black to teach a black student. I have to be white to teach. No, it's not that. 
You just need to be aware of what's going on, what's happening around you. And do not be afraid to speak on it. Because you could change someone's life for the better if you do. And so, going with that empowerment, um, Jack, as we go to different schools and the community that is already established at the school, it will have different values, and maybe it doesn't align with your values as your program. How do you deal with creating that community in your band program, even though it might not be already at the school that you're going to? Awesome. I love that question. And Warren, repeat after me. I am the expert. I am the expert. Say it again. I am the expert. I am the expert. So no matter where where you work, your your principal, your band parents or orchestra parents, uh, your chancellor or president, your dean, they are not the expert. You're you're being brought into the situation because you are the expert. I know for younger teachers, it's harder for us to realize that we are the expert, um, but we are there to create a, um, a vision for, for the program. And I believe in any situation, it's your, your duty to bring the vision that you have for your program um, to there. Now, some, some, some places may have some challenges for you, um, but I think um, no matter what, you put yourself in a position um, to, to lead the program or create the program, create the culture uh, that you want from your program. When I taught at Oak Ridge High School many, many moons ago, um, like Kelvin, I started with 13 kids in, in my program. We had nothing. We were an F school. It was hard to recruit there. Um, there was a school of mostly black people and those black people were mostly Haitian. Uh, and so they didn't have much, they didn't have much drive, goal, anything. And so um, it would be easy to just come in and be like, all right, well, you don't know how to play the B-flat scale, so we're just gonna not play the B-flat scale. Instead, coming in with the vision of no, now in this program, I don't care if you can't, you can't read uh, quarter notes, but we gotta play all 12 scales in this program. And we instill that into them, and we make that a priority so that they can then, um, then change um, and and build up, build up to that. I think in your program, um, in any situation, you have to find a way to insert you into the system. Um, every program has its uh, interesting parts of it. I show them learning about that as I'm in the mountains of Western, Western North Carolina. Um, and uh, I'm different and that's okay. And you know, I have to have thick skin, I have to like, I don't care, that's fine. Yeah, we, we did we did do it that way. All right, now we're not. And um, um, we, we, we have this thing at, at Western Carolina that uh, there's nothing wrong with change. Change is just change. And, and it's okay, and so we don't make a big deal. We just go and we do. We do the things that we can do so we can continue to be uh, successful in the program. I think every program that you're, you're involved in, they have an identity. 
And when you infuse yourself into that program, that, that identity morphs into what, into your beliefs. Um, and you take, you take and you build upon that and you learn that that is, that's, that is, that is okay to do. Um, and then you're finding a way to build a culture that you want no matter what. Like, and for my young folks, that culture may not happen tomorrow. Like, it may not happen the next month. It may take you a couple years for it to happen. But you're working on building a culture that you want today. Um, and so I want to encourage you all to do that. talking a little bit about um, how to especially build community with students who may not share the identities with because that is something that I believe a lot of especially young educators may not know how to step in that direction and so Catherine I wanted to ask you how do you authentically build community with students who do not share the same background as even each other or yourself? Yeah thanks Lauren. You know I think about this question and um, you know, there's a lot of us in the room, I would say maybe maybe even in the Asian community, maybe among um, other communities, where it's just been my whole life, you know. I've, I've never had a place where I was in the room with people who look like me, people who are five foot tall, but really think they're bigger, you know. And um, stand on the box. But, um, so there's that part, right? There's that code switching that just, that you're just, you know, I went, I went to all primarily white schools, you know, with, um, and, and expensive schools because my parents wanted me to have the very best, you know, and so you learn in those spaces how to kind of hide yourself a little bit and say like, yeah, I got this, I got this. And I don't think it was until later in life that I started to realize, you know, I don't really have this. And that's when I needed those mentors that I had been looking for and I pull them to the side and I say, well, what do you say when somebody criticizes what you wore to a concert? You know, and you're like, and that mentor would say, you tell me to go to hell. <laughs> and I'm like, right, you tell me to go to hell, because I'm an expert. <laughs> and, and, and so there's that middle ground where you're trying to navigate that. And then now, as I'm being more comfortable with who I am, is I, I, I go up to my students and I say, um, you know, I'm Filipino American. My, my parents came here in these different ways. You know, and uh, my grandfather uh, fought in the World War II, so he could bring his family here because that was one way that Filipino immigrants could come to this country. And so I've had to learn my story. I've had to tell my story. And even though it may look among the students that I teach that their stories are pretty homogenous, they have very interesting stories too. And so by modeling that story, then they bring they start to bring their stories to you. I look for music that allows us to talk about identity because why are we still doing this? You know, once you hit, once you become God's gift of band director, you're gonna keep asking yourself why. I think we all ask ourselves every day, why am I doing this? And it's not for the end of that symphony. You know, although sometimes we get to do that kind of stuff. It's, it's to model for our students who we are, to keep showing ourselves when you feel safe. Show yourself when you feel safe. And then that allows them to bring that to you. Because we don't know. I have students who have Native American background that I don't know because it's not visible to me. And then they share their stories, and then we feel like part of the, we feel like part of the community. And so I tend, I tend to put myself out there, but I wait. I wait until I feel like it's safe. Um, 
I ask myself that why question, and I, and, I, and I try to put it all together, you know, that it's not like this is just the time when we learn our names, and this is the time when we work on B-flat scale, and three octaves this, and four octaves that. It's, it's, it's circular. It doesn't matter how you choose to achieve the goals, but you give yourself time. You know, I, I, I said this recently, that, that when a student has a problem, it pops up quick, and it takes a long time to resolve. You know, and we're problem finders. You know, we're not problem fixers. I don't, I, I don't step into the therapist's role anymore. It's too hard. It's too hard. And I'm not the expert on that. But I, but I help them find the problem, and I, I try to be patient, you know, because, because these, the problems take a lot of time to resolve themselves, and, and then sometimes a new one. Uh, a new one pops up. Um, and, and then, I, I would add this too, Ashley, as you were talking, you know, we want to be the role model, we want, is, is I put as many people as I can in front of my students to help diversify that voice and show that there are lots of ways to do the same thing. And it really does matter who's delivering the message. You know, I'm always going to look like some kind of Asian woman. You know, that girl band director, that lady band director, any women out there get called that? You're like, I'm the lady band director, and that's like, you know, it just makes you wonder what the name was for. Um, but, so you can't ever deny those things that, that you appear as. And so we just need to keep presenting as many voices as we can, and then help our students understand that. Why did that sound different from that person? Because they're taller, you know, or because they said it for the 51st time, and that's how many times it takes for you to hear, flip it up, you know, because that was always flat. But, um, but, but we're going after it in a circular way. It's not linear achieving any goals. It's, it's always circular. And before our last question, we did want to just point to the world world that you all created. Um, what is community? And these beautiful words of love, belonging, culture, collaboration, together, friends, diversity, common goals. These are the words that you and so these are some of the words you can take back to your programs and put them in front of your students or have your students create their own word wall. That was an easy way. When I was teaching in Florida, the first thing I did was, it's time for you to create the rules of the classroom. So therefore, they have buy-in and they stick to that. Oh, Ms. Moore, she, you're not doing what we said, the rule. Well, I'm sorry, my bad. Let's try that again, you know? So these are the words that you came up with. And so let's take these words on, okay? And then before we go on, if you have a question, we have a little question and answer at the end, uh, please just uh, scan this QR code and then ask your question and then we'll ask on before I get my last question. Real quick, I also want to add, you don't have to be a band director to use those words. I know there's college kids in here who teach sectionals. You can build a relationship with the place you teach sectionals. If you teach lessons, you can act every, every, every August and January. I asked the kid, what do they want to get better at that's not the trumpet? Like, what a part of your personality or your humanness is lacking right now? Sometimes compassion comes up. Sometimes work ethic comes up. And work ethic does not mean going and practicing three hours a day. Work ethic could be like, I want to make my bed every morning. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So this, you do not have to be a band director, college, high school, middle school, to apply these. You can do this sectional room, private lesson room, 
or that one-on-one -on -one you have with the students when they first enter your ensemble. It does not have to be with music. It's great if you could do that. You know, we're at a music conference. But you can take this into the human aspect of everything we do. Absolutely. And Catherine, you asked the big question of why. And I that that little three-letter word is very scary. The question of why. And so Kelvin, I have a question for you. When it is time to move on to your next place, how do you lead the community that you invested so much time and energy into developing? I plead the fifth. No. <laughs> no. Um, uh, well, it's, it's a great question. Because uh, everybody kind of had faces that with different facets in life. Um, number one, I'm a spiritual person. And so um, I try to make decisions that are in line with my beliefs. So to give a quick story with that, I was at West, well, I was at my high school I was teaching at, and I was debating on going back to get my doctorate. And it was just, man, we've done all these great things, the program has grown, we performed at all these different events, and my old teacher called and said, hey, we may have an assistantship open, but the assistantship is like a 50-50 where they cover like partial, the tuition, fees, I gotta cover the rest, but come up for an interview. It's like, cool, I come up to the interview, and while I was there, I went to the band department and was like, hey, would it be okay, because I'm looking at getting this assistantship through music ed, and would it be okay if I just sat in on rehearsals while I'm here? And at that time, the um, director of wind band studies had left to take another job like a week before, and they were like, well, what if we gave you an assistantship? And that covers all of your tuition, you get $20,000, and we can work it with your music ed professor to where you can still do both. I'm in the production uh, studio with that. And so I went to the, my uh, teacher, my former teacher, like, hey, here's an opportunity. They were like, oh, that's great, because we can then offer what we offer you to someone else. And so I'm still in prayer, like, man, should I go? This is like April. And I, I know <laughs> it was a Tuesday, and I put in a dental, I had to go to the dentist. That's why I missed class. Um, and I remember coming on Wednesday, and on Wednesday they did a riff in the district. Riff means reduction in force. And they were getting rid of all the music teachers at the middle and elementary school, and I was gonna be the only one left. And I was like, man, God, if you give me any signs, this is definitely <laughs> And so, um, so then I was like, yeah, I made the choice to kind of go there. And I had the situation set up to where I'm going to school uh, tuition-free, um, I'm getting paid to go, I get to go to these conferences, and I get to be involved in both of these things that were important to me, whether that was um, the research side of education and also conducting. That's something that's important to me. So this, I feel personally, like God created this avenue to make me succeed there. So um, for me, any decision I make is kind of rooted in that. Uh, two, a lot of people struggle with, I have great kids, and they're awesome. Man, there are great kids everywhere. Um, I had great kids at West Feliciana, I had the LSU, there were amazing kids there. The things that I'm doing now at the uh, University of Louisiana Lafayette and other places, they're awesome kids. Even other rural areas I go to, I'm learning about who Ice Spice and Gorilla and all the other folks are. There are dope kids there too, so don't let the kids that you teach and work around hold you back because there are great kids everywhere. Thirdly, um, is know your goals. Some people may have certain aspirations of if they want to uh, go to graduate school and things of that nature, you know, make sure you kind of stay fast to that. But it's so important to develop success first. Some people, oh, I want to go teach at this school for like three months and then go get a doctorate. Um, you know, you're not taking, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but you're not taking the time to grow and learn, make the mistakes and mature. Um, so actually find success in what you want to do there. Because this last point I want to make, and this is kind of about community, but this is like almost self-help as well. 
we can work so hard in our profession and do so many things, and this job is stressful, and this job can kill you. Um, I, I had a very personal friend of mine who passed away two days ago, 39 years old. He was in Mississippi, a high school director, did so much for that community. He served as a fine arts coordinator, all these things. And we don't know what causes heart attack, but it's, I know he was stressed a lot. And I got to a point where in my life where if I die, I'm probably going to have one day where everybody's going to be on social media, oh, we missed him, he was cool, freckled face, whatever. And before my funeral, they're going to advertise that job. And probably fall on cold on the ground, somebody else is going to be in that same position. I can't put my will that my son is going to be director of whatever. That's not how the game works, right? So it's finding those time and moments to figure out what's best for you from a health standpoint to make sure you provide for your family or the spiritual things you believe in. Um, so, because a lot of times we work so hard, we put in so much time what we're doing to get this chord in tune or play this piece or to impress my colleagues and play this grade six music. But at the end of the day, if Something would have happened to you adversely. What does it really matter? And so um, those are things that I just felt like for me. But it goes back to what I said at first, the spirituality piece of it to kind of figure out, all right, this is the right time. Because everybody has a time and place everything. So, yeah. So before we end and do our ending sequence, um, we have one more question for you. If you can just take out your mobile device one more time. And just on a scale from one to ten, how important is community building in your ensemble classes are important to you? And while you were doing that, we have to do our plug. We are willing to pitch. We are willing to pitch. And we are on YouTube, we're on Spotify, we're on all the platforms. Please follow us. We've had these beautiful four people on our episodes. So, and we're on season four, OMG. So if you can just download it and just listen to it, there's always some good nuggets in each one of our episodes. As we wrap up, we have a few Q&A questions from the audience. Um, panelists, please feel free to step up whenever you hear any question you want to answer. How do you deal with differing goals for your program within your community? As an example, I want my band to have a good tone, intonation, etc., but others will say they sound white. I'm not black. Anyway, uh, I'm gonna say one thing that I think we can all use, which is that that our students are our echo chamber, and 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 we have to define the criteria for what we're doing. We have to define the goals. I mean, I hear. I don't know, Mike, you probably hear this, because when the kids come in for lessons, you know, we talk to them and they're like, how'd band contest go? And the student says, oh, not so great. And I said, why? Said, well, you know, the judge didn't like blah, blah, blah. And then they go on and they say everything that you just said, you know? And so we have to put the words into, into our community for why we're doing it. We just say it, just give them a real simple goal. I got, you know, there's a time for this, there's a time for that. I was going to add, it goes to a value system. I went to an HBCU for my undergrad. Um, I was in orchestra, I was in jazz, I did all those factors. Um, I worked at LSU, which is a probably white institution. But for any of the kids, it goes back to what do you value, what do you prioritize? Like, in my opinion, there's really only one, one way to play a tune. Um, that was how you do that. So, um, instilling those traits and systems into your kids, going to have that understanding. Because we live in a society that's full of bigotry, full of ignorance, and you have to find how to navigate that. That's why we're teachers, that's why we educate so we can then educate them on what's right and wrong here. And um, 
it goes back to you're the expert. That, that thing, and a big part of it is it's just it's an identity issue, um, and we have to be strong and content in the identity of our program. I remember when I was at Oak Ridge High School, they all wanted to be Jones High School. This is uh, one of the other high schools in, in Orlando. We want to be Jones. We want to be Jones. I'm like, we don't care about Jones. We got to be Oak Ridge. We got to be Oak Ridge first and Oak Ridge only. And so once we, we understood our identity, then they didn't care about who Jones was. And so we have to preach that and teach that and cultivate those, those things. And the last question we'll ask is, um, with, someone asked, with all of you being accomplished music educators, what advice do you have to young black aspiring music educators in the state of music education today? Um, my answer kind of ties back into the first question as well. This misconception that some people may have that if you sound right, that indicates that you are educated or really good at something phenomenal at something. If you don't sound white or you're other, then that's on the opposite end of that spectrum, right? My advice, of course, if you ever encounter that or someone wants to project that onto you, please do not internalize that mindset. What you want to do as educators, when we're talking about building tone or whatever, the, whatever your goals may be in the classroom, those are your goals and you set your plans in place to realize those goals, right? And as you are matriculating through your program or you're building your program, People will project things onto you based off where you're from, how you look. I'm a black woman from Memphis, Tennessee. I get a lot of things thrown at me. But I don't internalize it. And what I do is I prove them wrong every time, every single time. Because one, I'm self-aware of what I can do. I know me better than anybody, right? And as an educator, get to know yourself as an educator. What is your philosophy? What do you stand on? When you get in front of these bands or in front of your ensembles, in front of your students, what are your values? How are you showing up? That's what's important. That's what's important. And again, I'm gonna reiterate that people will project things onto you. And sometimes people's insecurities are loud. And they'll say, that's a you problem. And no, baby, that is a their problem, that's a new problem, that don't have anything to do with me. So as you build your programs, or I know we have some college students in here as you matriculate through your program, you get your degree, write out what your teaching philosophy is. Visit those values, what are your values? What do you want out of your program? What do you want out of yourself as an educator? And that's what's important, you get to define that, no one else. No one else. No one could have told me that, oh, this is your third year in Midwest and you're sitting on a panel today. But I did things, I put things in place that landed me here today while experiencing a lot of adversity before I got here. Okay? So I hope that answered a question or do y'all need me to preach some more? <laughs> Keep these key points.
lessons from our session today that you can take home with you. Community building is essential, no matter what level of teaching you're at. There are individuals within every community. Empowerment is key to community building. Social awareness is necessary to authentic community building. Change is just change. Culture change, culture building takes time, and ask yourself why often. And with that, we want to say thank you so much for being here with us. If, you, if this is the first time you've engaged with Relative Pitch, hopefully it will not be your last. This is where you can find us. We would like to take a moment to thank our fabulous panelists for being here.